From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. If you've had any encounter with Jesuits or Ignatian spirituality, you know the whole thing rests on the simple yet radical idea that God is to be found in all things. In films, stories are an obvious place to look for God. Stories reflect who we are as people. They point the way toward where we might yet go. We can all point, probably, to our favorite quote-unquote religious film, right? If you're anything like me, you watched The Mission almost every year in high school. That movie, about Jesuit missionaries, clearly has some religious overtones. But what about movies that are less obviously religious, that seem almost entirely bereft of any spirituality at all? Can God still be found there? Today's guest and topic will provide some answers. John Doherty has been working in Jesuit schools for more than a decade. He knows a thing or two about finding God in all things and helping others to do the same. As a writer, he's penned many an essay at the intersection of faith, pop culture, parenting, and spirituality. That's why American Magazine asked him to helm the weekly Catholic Movie Club column. You can learn more about John at johndockwrites.com. And now, here's the man himself. John Doherty, welcome back to AMDG. We're so glad you're uh, you're back with us today talking about movies. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Hey, well, let's get into it. Um, you have a great column over at America Magazine called The Catholic Movie Club. I mean, it's is it just a column? It's more of like an experience, right? It's more of like a just a way of living. <laughs> yeah, fully immersive, like really 4D, I would say. Yeah, when you enter the yeah. Catholic Movie Club, you you emerge a different person. So, exactly. um, so with that with that uh, description, I want you to talk about what is it? Why did you why did you want to bring this to life? Sure, sure. So Catholic Movie Club, it was something that had existed at America before my involvement. Uh, I believe it started up during the pandemic uh, as a, a Facebook group uh, just for some like asynchronous discussion of movies, creating community while we were all locked in our, our various spaces away from people. Uh, and I was, I was a member of that Facebook group back in the day, so it was fun to kind of be with it through these different iterations. Uh, but the way that I got plugged in uh, and the, the kind of genesis of the current column is that back in like late 2019, completely on a whim, I started a Letterboxd account. Letterboxd being this social media platform where you just log the movies that you've watched. And you can write a little like capsule review of them, uh, give a star rating, stuff like that. And so I started doing that. Uh, one of my friends who I love talking about movies with, he would occasionally post his on Facebook. So it was like, well, I'll post them on Facebook. Like there's nobody following me on Letterboxd. I got friends on Facebook. Let's put it on there. Uh, and then the pandemic happened and suddenly I was inside and my schedule was very different. And so I was able to uh, watch a lot more movies. And that was one of the things that I kind of uh, hooked into as like, this is going to be a project during this time. This is what's going to keep me sane uh, is I will just watch a bunch of movies and I'll think about them and I'll write about them. Uh, so I was during like summer 2020, that whole time, I was probably logging like one or two movies a day uh posting them up on facebook so it's it's tough wow. to say that i got like a following because it was all people i was already friends or related to who were reading them um but people like them and they would you know comment on them and they'd ask me what i was watching and they'd be like oh have you seen this you should watch this so that just kind of became part of my 
I guess, just life practice. It wasn't, you know, monetized or anything. It was just fun. Um, and then the, the pandemic ends, uh, I got back into, you know, in-person, uh, I, I work at a high school. So back, uh, into in-person education and the movie, you know, time went down a bit, but I tried to stay consistent with it and tried to, uh, keep posting things cause it was fun for me. And it seems like it was fun for other folks. And then, uh, last spring, uh, Zach Davis, uh, who I know pretty well over in America and Tim Reedy is another one of the editors there. They reached out and they said, uh, Zach and I are Facebook friends. So he's, he's read these reviews and they said, uh, what do you think about doing something like this for us and marrying it to the Catholic movie club? So continuing this discussion group that we have, but having it kind of matched with a weekly reflection on a film. Uh, and then obviously it'd be like a little bit more formal than my letterbox reviews, which like, you know, I post a letterbox review of Tim Burton's sleepy hollow. There's just like, it rips or something like that. Uh, this has got to be it's all you have to say, you know, when you, when you're concise, you're concise, you know, exactly. That's it. Just, it just gets it across. Um, so that was the, they, they came to me with that idea. Um, and that's kind of the the genesis of it. Uh, and it was exciting to use this as like a springboard for conversation, especially because uh, so much of like when I was posting letterbox stuff, like I would have conversations with, with friends and family sometimes, but sometimes it was also just John watched a weird movie um, and it's on my Facebook feed now. And now it's like really intentionally trying to choose movies that uh, I feel like I get a lot out of and I can really pull some spiritual themes from and hearing from other people, their perspectives. And so that there's a nice little like circle of uh, conversation that happens there. Uh, yeah, what, what are some of those kind of conversations you're having? What, what have you like noticed in like the zeitgeist of people that are following you? What, what are people like feeling drawn towards or, or feeling about after experiencing movies with, with you or kind of tangential to you? Sure, sure. Uh, I've been very impressed by the openness uh, of folks to getting something out of different genres and different types of movies. That was a thing that as I was kind of moving into this role and starting this column, I was a little nervous about, I was like, should I try to keep it broad? Should I go for things I know are, are crowd pleasers? Um, but then experimenting with trying to do, you know, different genres, uh, a few international films, stuff like that, things that, that I just had personally responded to and seeing other people able to kind of jump in and say, Oh, this resonates with my experience in this way. Mm. Um, I would say the the group in Catholic Movie Club really are, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but uh, really seem to connect to these kind of emotional human stories and are able to either connect their own lives to those or to see uh, congruence with something in you know, somebody somebody they're in relationship with, and that's a lot of what comes up in the conversation. Um, is you know, watching this movie reminded me of this time in my life. This part of my relationship with God, or, you know, as the, you know, sister of somebody who went through this, as the father of somebody who went through this, like this made me think about, you know, what I saw from this person. And the idea of these stories, you know, really kind of overlapping and and touching upon what's happening in our real lives, that there's an entertainment act aspect, but there's also this uh, really personal, really real, uh, authentic aspect to it. Um, yeah. Um, are your ch I mean, I know you're the father of two young children. Are they like now like super movie buffs? Because I don't I don't have time to watch like two movies a day, just on my own, let alone uh, while also running around with kids. So what like are your kids just like the most 
like cultured people now? <laughs> That'd be great. I wish I would. What if I just said yes? And we're like, okay, moving on. Yeah, our next uh, question. I mean, again, concise. He's going to be concise. I, very often it's them uh, driving the bus with that. So I watch a lot of stuff that they want to watch. Then usually, uh, especially these days. So when I when I started my letterboxed account, like writing these uh, reviews, my son wasn't born yet. Uh, in fact, when I started the letterboxed account, we didn't even know we were having him yet. Uh, so now that there are two children, uh, I, I mostly watch movies either on sick days or after they go to bed and really try to like, you know, time bedtime so that I've got those 90 minutes before I need to go to sleep too. Uh, but they do watch a lot of movies. Uh, it's been fun to, especially as my daughter gets older. So my daughter is seven. My son is two. Um, and she likes all the you know standard Disney stuff you would imagine, uh, a lot of Illumination stuff. Uh, she likes watching all the Pixar movies, pretty much anything with cartoons, princesses, um, or live action stuff with a lot of slapstick. She likes that. All the things you would expect a seven year old to be into. Uh, so so she's she's got her you know her niche. But then I've been able to introduce her some things that have been meaningful to me as like, you know, she's gotten a little bit older and it's been appropriate. Uh, so we've watched like a lot of the Studio Ghibli movies, um, Hayao Miyazaki's movies, uh, which are, are movies that I really love. I actually covered uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, which is one of his movies for Catholic Movie Club. Um, and watching some of those on my own and going, oh, you know, I think Rosie would really like this. And then watching it together and seeing it through her eyes uh, is really cool. Um, or even most recently, uh, this summer, this was like a big thing in the house. Uh, Wizard of Oz was a huge movie, uh, for me growing up and for my family, um, even for my dad's family. Like it's, it's a big, big movie in the Doherty lore. Um, and we were like, okay, I think Rosie is finally at the age where she's not going to be completely freaked out by the witch and the monkeys and everything uh so let's let's do it we're gonna watch wizard of oz um and she loved it she was all about it she was like she loved the colors she liked when people fell down she really likes when people fall down she think that's very very funny and she's right um but being able to like share that with her was really cool we haven't quite gone to star wars yet uh she's watched like some of the the more kid focused cartoons not so much like clone wars but the the younger ones yeah uh, that's like something that's that's on the list eventually gotta do it you don't want to scar them with star wars you don't want to like because then they're scarred forever i've been as you know i'm very cautious to introduce star wars to my children because i don't want mm -hmm. to i don't want them to be scared forever but we did watch <laughs> the opening sequence of ahsoka and um and that's pretty tough and they liked it um, I made the mistake though. I see like, it sounds like you watch the movies before you show them to your kids. And I made the mistake of being like, Oh, brave. That must be a great movie for kids. And then we just like, I think, I think my daughter was like three or not just not that old. And, um, and like, I don't know, no, I'm a spoiler alert, but like, it's about a bomb turning into a bear. Right. And so she's terrified. Like immediately the, like, it just like, we're like, Oh, we watched Moana. It was great. Let's watch brave. And then like, you know, like 26 minutes in mom becomes a bear just just devastates her shut it down like nightmares about bears for six months and i was like all right well i've learned my lesson i'll always watch the movie and then i didn't even follow my lesson i think we tried to watch like the good dinosaur or something oh and, sure which also has like a it was weird we didn't finish it it's a little weird again like everyone like dies or like the, something yeah. terrible happens to everybody and I was like, oh, we're never watching a movie again. So that's kind of my my parenting <laughs> that's movie. The safest way to do it. Just never watch. Just never movie. watch any movies. Yeah, just Paw Patrol and uh, all the time. Um, well, so I know I know you uh, have been influenced by Sister Rose Picotti's thinking mm -hmm. about movies, and um, and Sister Rose was on the podcast not so long ago talking yeah. about kind of a, a similar theme on, on digital media literacy. So just plug for that. But um, but tell me a little bit about kind of what you take from her. Uh, thinking on on movies and, and just content consumption in general what and what should we know as as listeners 
Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll add the plug. That's a great episode. Um, I was uh, re listened to it in preparation for this podcast to make sure I didn't like accidentally so steal some of her great insights. Uh, I, I've really, uh, for a while now, loved her framing of Cinema Divina, the idea of taking the movements of Lectio Divina, um, which I'm, I'm going to guess most of the, the audience knows what that is, but as a just brief description, Lectio Divina is a form of prayer where you are uh, prayerfully reading scripture to encounter God directly through the scripture. and involves a lot of very intentional reading and praying with what you're reading and you know not just kind of reading to understand the text, but reading to see how what's happening in the text impacts on you and what moves inside of you as you're reading it. Um, and she wrote an article, I think she actually written several articles about this, taking that idea and applying it to film and the idea of cinema divina. How do we watch movies intentionally to try to create uh, or facilitate, I should say, an encounter with God? Uh, and that was an idea that I found really powerful. It was um, so actually kind of coming out of uh, summer of 2020 as I had been doing all this, you know, more sustained deep thinking about movies than I had for, for a while. Uh, I, I came upon that article and it was like, Oh yes, this puts into words like exactly what, you know, I, I feel like I'm trying to get at when I'm, when I'm trying to watch these movies intentionally. Um, and that year actually, I taught a uh, section of, this was at my, my last job, um, a section of a senior elective called finding God in all films. And so that's how we started the class. We had her, them read her article on cinema Divina to kind of orient them to like, this is how we're approaching these movies. Uh, it's, it's not just, you're not just watching it. I'm not just going to be testing you on like what the characters names are or like what happens in the plot, but what's happening inside of you. What are you bringing to the experience of watching this movie? Um, what resonates with you or repulses you and, and why is that? And then ultimately, how, how can all this be a path to a deeper encounter with God? Um, how can all this be a way of, of maybe hearing God more clearly in your life? Uh, so that, that idea was very, very potent for me. Um, and certainly, uh, again, plug for, for her wonderful AMDG episode, uh, the idea of trying to looking at our, our culture and the way that we treat media and the way we treat art uh, and really trying to reject and, and push back an attitude that turns everything into just disposable content and instead trying to take the art uh, that we engage with and engage with it seriously. Even things that are, you know, just kind of for our entertainment, that's a good thing. It doesn't all have to be, you know, deep thinking constantly. Uh, but this idea that art is disposable and that it's only there for you to consume it and then move on to the next thing as quickly as possible so that we can keep like, you know, sending numbers to the streaming services that by the, they won't even share anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, there's no transparency either uh, is I, I think a good thing. I think to be able to push back against that and say, no, let me actually take some time and, and say like, you know, this, this, genre movie, the sci-fi movie, the superhero movie, this can maybe be the grounds for a sacred encounter. This can be something really special as well as a fun time, you know, at the movies. I, yeah, I, I want to kind of, I love that. I love the intentionality. I love the idea of, of kind of pushing back against uh, you know, a content machine, but you, you said like, you know, it's like, we're, um, it's okay to be entertained, right. As well. And I wonder that kind of almost makes me want to ask the question. And so I'm going to, cause I'm the one hosting this podcast. Um, <laughs> but why why is it valuable to be entertained like what like what's the value of that in our kind of human experience yeah i think that's a great question um i was thinking about this in preparation for the podcast i was thinking about why i watch movies 
Um, and, and I'll be honest that my, if, if you had me just kind of list the reasons I watch movies, the number one wouldn't necessarily be I'm watching movies to have a spiritual encounter, uh, that happens and it happens pretty frequently. Now I'm doing it intentionally. So it happens even more frequently. Uh, but usually I, I put something on because, uh, I, I think this is going to entertain me and I think it's gonna make me feel something. And I think there's a real value in that, uh, both in the sense that, uh, I, I think life life is busy and life can be hard. And there's a lot of really not great things that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. And I think part of being able to um, not just get through the day, but to find the the strength and the, you know, the joy that you need to kind of continue in life, that it's good to have things that are just fun uh, to have that release valve and something that you can just like have a good time with. Uh, but also that I think that's in many ways the, the deepest this is maybe a hot take, but I think the deepest value of art is that it has, uh, it makes you feel something. It makes you react in a way. Uh, I think all effective art evokes a reaction. It's not always, you know, a great reaction. Uh, it's not always necessarily, uh, sometimes you can get a reaction by doing something kind of cheap. Like there's, there's, there's grades to this, I guess. Uh, but with that being said, I, I don't think that art needs to necessarily be extremely sophisticated and extremely profound to be valuable. I think there is a, a real value in just, this is a, a fun time for me to, to sit back and relax. This is a, something that I can enjoy sharing with my kids or with friends or with my wife. Um, it's something that just, you know, makes me feel good at the end of a hard day. And I think uh, those, those things are very important. And I, I guess, especially on the idea of like content and consumption, uh, in a culture where I think more and more of what we do is monetized and more and more of what we do gets like kind of, you know, absorbed into the grind set and the the hustle or whatever. Uh, and that something isn't valuable unless it's pushing forward some goal that's, you know, directly related to, I don't know, survival or your finances. Uh, the idea of saying like, no, this is just fun. And that's an important part of being human too. And we need that. Um, I, I think that's that's a big thing. I think it's an important thing. Yeah, no, I, I think it's spot on and well said. I it almost feels like I just like connect to like kind of the, the movie arc or the story arc. You know, we're always so invested. <clears throat> we're always so invested in the story of like the quest and like, do they you mm-hmm. know conquer the dragon? Do they save the village? But then it's always like, what happens after? What happens in like the happily ever after? And you know, whenever there's a sequel, there's some new conflict. But like you know, in our lives, like we're striving for that period of of rest and enjoyment and being with one another. And, and that almost is, is what you're describing. I think in this idea of like, Hey, like you can just enjoy a movie or a story to, to just, you know, to enjoy. And, and, and I, um, I don't know. I don't want to belabor the point too, too much, but I, I think it's something worth kind of pondering. Um, I also, I, I do want to go back to, I really love your point of this kind of intentionality um, in movie consumption as a way to push back against or to resist kind of this content machine that just turns, you know, just folks on profit making and, and just kind of, you know, lowest common denominator content. And I want, I would love your kind of reflections on that um, in the context of the strikes that are going on right now. You know, how, how do these things go together? And then how are we uh, kind of just, you know, folks on the outside here looking in? So, uh, how would you suggest that we react or, or think about these things? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I think it's the, the strikes really underline it and, and make it very stark, uh, the, the realities that we have in terms of this, this content machine, as I, I think you put it very well. Um, we're hearing a lot about 
the ways in which people are underpaid, of course, the ways people are overworked. We're hearing that a lot with like the VFX uh, departments, but even like writers, directors, actors. Uh, we hear about conditions that aren't great on sets. Uh, we hear about things that are like, you know, kind of pushed out on this insane timeline. And it's all to serve this larger, you know, we just need to keep making content. It just needs to be the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Uh, and to have those conditions already, which are things people have been talking about and, and pushing back against, and then have this new frontier of studios starting to say, and do we even really need human beings to do this? Like, isn't this something that you know, the, the digital equivalent of, couldn't a trained monkey do your job? But in this case, it's a generative uh, text AI. Couldn't, couldn't that just like write the scripts for me? Um, couldn't we just uh, scan you into a computer and then we can use you as a background actor uh, in perpetuity and I don't have to deal with you, a person who has demands and, you know, family and health care and stuff like that. There's uh, time for all that, right? Right, exactly. It, it, it would really be much easier on the people who are making the most money if we could just get rid of all that stuff right away. Uh, and so I think that's, you know, I'm obviously uh, – uh, being a little hyperbolic here, I guess, but uh, maybe not. Honestly, sometimes you, you see the uh, both hearing the stories from people who are on the picket lines uh, as, as those come out in the media and also seeing some of the responses from uh, the heads of these studios and these companies. It's it's pretty stark and it's pretty depressing. Um, and so I think rejecting this attitude that the things that people create are disposable is a way of kind of allying ourselves with the people who make them and saying, this isn't disposable. The work that somebody puts into this isn't disposable. And consequently, the people who do that work are not disposable. Um, I think even like, I'll see this sometimes, um, you know, I, I saw positive and negative reactions when WGA started striking. Um, but sometimes people will say like, you know, oh, well, X film franchise is basically just empty calories. Like this is, oh God, oh yeah, a robot couldn't write this procedural, it's been the same episode for the past 15 years. Um, and, and in some ways, I, I guess I see where they come from with that, but also I'm a writer, so I'm prickly about that. Uh, but the even even things that are, you know, I, that, that some people might want to, I don't want to say this myself, but that some people might deem as empty calories or that are not, you know, this, this grand work of art. Uh, there's still work that goes into that. There are people who are spending hours, days, maybe years of their lives making that, um, often not for proper compensation. Uh, and the idea that they're not being taken care of or compensated properly is, I think, pretty terrible, uh, both in term, from a workers' rights perspective and also just from wh what do we value in our culture? How do we value not only people, but the work they create? Uh, something we see a lot even before the strike was uh, streaming services, just kind of like vanishing shows mm -hmm. for who knows what reason. Again, there's not a lot of transparency in terms of, you know, what, what's being watched and when and why things get canceled or don't. And where, where did the Willow season series go? Where did Star Trek prodigy go? Right. right. I mean, I don't know into the void. <laughs> Willow series was, was available to stream for less than a year. I, think. Yeah, <laughs> I love that series, but anyway, neither here nor there. <laughs> And seeing like, uh, you know, writers and, and showrunners, and other people, actors uh, on social media saying, you know, I, I understand there are business decisions here, but this is this is something I was proud of. And this is work that I put in. And like, it's not even I can't even put this I can't even share this with anybody now. Like, this is just gone. And I don't know why. Um, 
Yeah. So yeah. I, I think this these things are very much connected, and I think the the strikes just just put it in the spotlight, uh, hopefully, and hopefully give people a sense of how much work is behind these things that we consume and how we we shouldn't just think of it as disposable and throw it away. And even we were, we were just talking about like the value of being entertained and and how that's something that we value, even if it is like you know quote unquote empty calorie movie and. You know, and, and I think that if, if it's something that we find valuable as people, then we should respect it all the way along, you know, from the beginning to end, right? We show that, that same kind of respect. And remember that, you know, we're made in the image and likeness of God who creates. And that creative faculty is, um, you know, is, is in the image and likeness of God. Um, and so I think, you know, these things are, are there's a real, it's, it's, it's quick to get to the spiritual uh, and the Catholic social teaching aspect of this um, of all of this, uh, so, so let's let's kind of chase that down a little bit. And and um, obviously, you're uh, uh, an Ignatian expert, Ignatian spirituality expert um, from your from your vast career in, in uh, Ignatian spirituality and Jesuit schools. Um, so I wonder if you uh, just kind of might put that that additional lens over this conversation. Um, what's the Ignatian spirituality piece to this? How does that influence how you are consuming and viewing movies? I'm going to add Ignatian expert to my LinkedIn. Just hold on one second. Yeah, I get that in there. Get that on the website, LinkedIn, bios. Perfect. Uh, So, yeah. Just quote me, quite like testimonial, Eric Clayton says. Right, exactly. (laughs) Can you endorse me for uh, Ignatian expert? Is that a skill? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So, new spirituality is, is I. As, as you uh, alluded to there, I've, I've been in Jesuit schools in one way or another since my freshman year of high school. Um, drank the Kool-Aid very, very hard. Uh, it's been great, obviously. Uh, still here several decades later. Uh, and Ignatian spirituality has, uh, it, I mean, it, it influences how I think about my spiritual life in general. Uh, but with, you know, the way I engage in stories being a piece of that and a part of that uh, it's had a huge, huge influence on how I watch movies. And this whole finding God in all films idea is of course, like riffing on the Ignatian finding God in all things. Uh, and I think that one of the, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this recently. I think that Ignatian spirituality is sort of inherently cinematic, even though it comes from a time like long before you could project a still image on <laughs> just about anything. Uh, I guess true. Yeah. History bears that out. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe we'll find out that Ignatius had a, a DVD player, but I don't think, um, again, not an expert on that. Um, definitely not a VHS player and definitely not a Blu-ray. It was a DVD player that he had. It was a right very specific moment. And yeah. <laughs> Ignatius, a famous millennial. We all know. Uh, <laughs> that guy. Anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> so but but i think there is something inherently cinematic in the way he approached the spiritual life and uh especially the way that he approached this imaginative prayer he thought imagination was a really powerful tool for digging deeper into our spiritual lives and encountering god uh you see that in contemplative prayer of course where you're taking a scripture story and you're trying to immerse yourself in it and like he writes about using your senses to fill in the details like you're not just kind of having a, a hazy imagining of the story playing out in front of you, you want to put yourself in it. And certainly that's more immersive than, than necessarily what you do when you're watching a movie. But the idea of the visual and the sound and all of this being something that's played out in front of you uh, with dimension and gravity and weight, uh, I think is very cinematic. And then like even the meditations that he comes up with in the spiritual exercises, the idea of like the two standards where you have these two armies facing each other across a battlefield and Satan's commanding one and Jesus commanding the other. And you listen to the speeches they make. And that's a 
that's that's a movie trope now the you know commander going and doing the inspirational speech in front of the and then the two armies come together yeah, i think uh, that's how the uh, the two towers ended right with the two the two standards wasn't it? yeah basically right <laughs> and then gandalf the white appeared and it all worked out <laughs> sorry it comes over the hill it's great it's um but yeah, so I think that it, it very easily maps on to uh, this sort of story and this sort of way of engaging with art uh, when, you know, movies are, are doing a bit of the work for you already. Uh, I guess in that the, the goal of those contemplations and, and using your imagination there is that you you fill the story in, you make the story as real as possible so that you're not just kind of thinking about the ideas of the story. You're not just thinking about, again, like we talked about Lectio Divina, not just thinking about the uh, the text itself, but putting yourself in the story and paying attention to how is this moving me? What am I reacting to? Um, sometimes, as, as folks who have, who have done contemplation can tell you, sometimes even just like, oh, why did my imagination come up with that? Like, why did I picture, you know, this character doing something unexpected. Um, what, what am I bringing to this story and how is God speaking to me in that? And again, I think movies do some of that work for you where you've got the image, you've got the sounds, it's, it's engaging your senses uh, from the start. And, and certainly there's an aspect of uh, what you're seeing is what the director and the editor and the actors and the writers all have kind of, you know, come together to, to present to you. But at the same time, because you are, immersed in that story, or hopefully if you're immersed in that story, then you are reacting with what you bring to it. Uh, the movie doesn't, I mean, they can make you jump and hopefully they can make you laugh. That Again, I said what all effective art is able to do, but it's what you bring individually that kind of determines what's going to be most powerful or most resonant in, in really any story. And, and I think especially in movie, um, I was thinking about, so I'm, I'm a Philly guy uh, and uh, this, is a, this is a Philly safe space, which I really appreciate. So uh, you're okay. Yeah, you're among friends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I love my uh, fellow Philadelphian filmmaker, uh, M. Night Shyamalan, uh, a guy who's got a lot of heat unfairly, I would say. Uh, but there are some of his movies that like, I know are, are maybe tough hangs for other people, um, or that haven't gotten, you know, beyond the big three that everybody loves, uh, that I absolutely adore. And some of it is because I think he's a good filmmaker. He's not getting a fair shake, but some of it is also because there's, there's things that he, the stories he tells resonate with some of my experiences in ways that add this extra level of, um, emotion and, and meaning for me, um, a movie like Split, which is a like horror thriller movie where James McAvoy has multiple personalities, uh, doesn't sound like, you know, that's that's maybe a fun time at the movies, the most that you're kind of expecting from that. There is a moment at the end of that that like had me choking up uh, that I have not been able to like explain to a single other person who didn't just automatically have that reaction because it was just like this speaks to me and what I'm bringing to this movie. It speaks to my relationship with God. It speaks to my relationship with, with others. Um, and being able to pay attention to that, that's kind of a drawn out way of, of saying, um, being able to look at that and say, okay, why is it that this moment in M. Night Shyamalan's split 2016 uh, has me choking up in my living room? Like what, what is, is it just that he's a good filmmaker Partially, uh, but also what is it that this is bringing out in me? What is it that uh, that I need to pay attention to here? Uh, and those are the kind of questions and the kind of language that I only have because of Ignatian spirituality. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, that's really, it's really great. I, the idea of um, 
making it, it makes you ask questions, but not just questions like academic, you know, intellectual questions about the movies, but but how why am I affected this way? I think is really important and, and is intrinsic to prayer. And something else you said about um, the movie kind of fills it in for you, I think is also really helpful because, you know, I, I joke about the two towers and that scene being essentially what I imagine the, the two standards being. But I think it also gives you more movies give you more raw material for your prayer, for your imagination. Right. Um, and I think that's that's really helpful. And, and, and perhaps that's something people are often thinking about when they're, uh, you know, consuming consuming movies. Um so let's let's do um, I don't say like let's do an example, but let's do an example <laughs> where uh, you kind of walk us through how you approach uh, this idea of finding God in all films. And let's take um, a great a great film, uh, Super Mario Brothers movie, um, the the new one, not not the the weird crazy one from I think the eighties. Um, uh, I have a lot of affection for. <laughs> do you? I was like I don't know if God was in that one to be honest, but um, <laughs> yeah, but, um, I don't go that far, but but I do have affection for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, you know, I think this is a movie that's easily, easily like skipped over, right? Mario Brothers. Uh, it looks like an extended um, N64 cutscene, which is probably why I loved it. Um, but but how do you go approaching this kind of uh, perhaps peculiar place where you would f- invite people to find God? Walk us through it. Sure. So what I started doing, I actually put, uh, I essentially put these steps in my very first Catholic Movie Club essay to kind of recommend to other people, invite other people to maybe do this as well. Um, most often when I'm watching a movie, it's in my living room. Um, I get out to movies when I can. As we've mentioned, the two children in the high school job, hard to get out and just see a movie. Uh, so most of the time I'm sitting on my couch and my house is not a, uh, a sterile um, you know, hermetically sealed environment uh, is a place where there are a lot of distractions. My phone's always on me. Uh, again, the two small children I'm responsible for, um, all the like, you know, the laundry still needs to get folded, all, all these other things. And so I need to be very intentional when I sit down to watch a movie to say, this is what I'm doing for these next, you know, 100 minutes or whatever it is. Um, I, I've taken to, uh, you know, turning the lights off as a first step. Like, let's let's make this feel a little bit more like a theater real easy. Um, but I've taken to taking my phone and moving it like just out of reach. I don't mm. put it in another room because again, I have responsibilities as a husband and a father. And I feel like it probably wouldn't be great if I'm down there watching M. Night Shyamalan movies or whatever. And, uh, and my wife really needs me. Uh, <laughs> everyone's crying in the house. So like, I can't, I can't right. I gotta, I gotta <laughs> find out what happens. You gotta like have a little, little space there. Um, but just like far enough away where it's not easy for me to just check it. If things slow down, um, which is something that, that I also need to kind of be open to when I'm watching a new movie is like, maybe I'm not going to react to this. Maybe this isn't going to be my, my favorite movie ever. It's not going to engage me all the way through. But I think that's important too. And to be able to pay attention to it and not just check out when that happens. So doing that, trying to limit the distractions. Um, obviously I'm, I'm very intentional about the time where I watch movies now. Like I wouldn't try to watch uh, a grown up movie when my kids are awake. Cause I know that's not going to work. Um, and also I should probably be with them uh, as their father. Right. That's, that's ideal. Uh, so really just trying to knowing that it's not a perfect kind of hermetically sealed environment, just still trying to make it as intentional as possible. And then while I'm watching, uh, trying to just be open to the story that's being presented to me. Uh, I try to do that in general. If I'm watching a movie, just like I usually, if there's a new movie, 
I'm sure I've already heard like three or four different takes by the time I actually get around to seeing it. It's rare that I see something on opening night with like no sense of what people are saying about it or what the reactions of the film festivals were or whatever. Uh, so when I actually sit down and put something on, I really try to make an intentional effort to say like, let me engage with this for what it is and see what it means to me and try not to let uh, other people's opinions of this influence me. Uh which, which I think has been uh, is important because I, I come in with both positive and negative expectations that have been upended in the past. Like there are movies that I thought I was going to absolutely love that just kind of were kind of landed flat for me. And the movies that everybody I knew hated that I watched and went, oh, no, there's something here. Like there's I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go to the bat for this one. Uh, so it's it's the physical space. It's kind of the mental space. And then to move it into the the spiritual dimension, uh, that's that's where the Ignatian piece comes in of trying to pay attention to how am I reacting to things? Uh, what about the story or the characters, uh, the the message even? Uh, I try not to get textual until later on. Uh, what is what is resonating with me? What is moving me? And why might that be? I tend to save the actual like why questions until after the movie is done. Uh, I like to watch credits. I like to sit there while the credits roll and and just kind of let things sink in and start to think about like, oh, what were the parts that I really, you know, really hit me here? What are the things I'm really going to walk away with here? Um, and then in, you know, Catholic Movie Club, or if I'm writing a letterbox review, I'll take some time to think about it. Catholic Movie Club is great because uh, I'm, I'm on a weekly schedule, so I don't need to write it right away. Whereas Letterboxd, I had like set up this expectation that I watched a movie and then a few hours later I had a review, uh, which has led to me occasionally have to go back and be like, actually, it's a five star masterpiece. I just wasn't I just didn't know it yet. Uh, I was too tired. I was too tired. It's a long movie. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but Catholic Movie Club, I have a few days to think about it and uh, I'll, I'll start writing out my initial thoughts. And then the actual process of writing uh, as, as a writer is spiritual for me. It's, uh, I, I see that as a continuation of the meditation and reflection, not just the fruits of it. Uh, when I'm writing, I'm, I'm kind of clarifying the initial seeds of ideas that were coming up when I was uh, doing that meditation, that prayer originally, and, you know, really trying to do it with, with God beside me and with the spirit kind of, you know, with me as I'm writing, uh, trying to follow the feelings and the insights as they go. And, and I'm always, uh, I, I find myself a little surprised every time I write one of these, because something that's been percolating kind of comes out in a way I wasn't expecting. Uh, so being open to that as well, being open to these kind of you know more mysterious movements of things. Um, this is all very general. We're supposed to be talking about Mario. I apologize. Uh, in in some ways, it's actually great that I did that whole preamble because for the Mario movie, I watched that with my daughter, uh, so it was a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> the lights were on. It wasn't quiet. It wasn't nighttime. <laughs> we did, it was you didn't sit through the credits. Lights were off. Put the phone away. But then I have my seven-year-old next to me who has watched about a third of it. So for the first third, um, it was, you know, I, I was still able to, to pay attention to the movie, but also had the running commentary of, oh, this is a silly part. This part is very silly. Oh, something silly is, wait a second. Oh, I didn't remember this part, but this, but that's also silly. And this next thing is also going to be silly. Like, that's great, Rose. Thank you. Thank you, Rosie. Yeah, let's, well, let's see. Let's keep watching. See what happens. Uh, but she, she's actually a very good movie-watching partner because she also gets kind of fully immersed once, like, you know, it isn't a part that she's watched 
at cares already. Uh, and she'll sit there and just be very focused in and pay attention. She like reacts strongly to things. And, uh, so it was actually pretty cool to, to do it with her. Uh, not that she was doing the full cinema divina, but, uh, it was, it did feel like I had like, and she of course is not, you know, she doesn't have a phone. She's not trying to do anything else. The movie is all she wants to do. So being there with this, like, you know, fellow wrapped audience was very cool. Uh, and I think enhanced the experience in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, so that's that's the process. Nice. All right, so we so we get into Mario. Um, where do we where where do we find guy? Let's let's be specific. Um, looking at this movie because I mean I have some thoughts, but it probably is not a typical place where you, where people are thinking like, oh yeah, this is there's a spirit just leaping leaping out of the Rainbow Road at me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, he is Italian American, uh, so <laughs> we assume there was. It, it, he now, must have been Catholic. You're right. I never even thought of that. News. Did you did you have the version where he talked about Padre Pio for three hours? That uh, I thought that was a little strange in my version. Yeah, um, that was that was a definitely added to the runtime. That's for sure. I feel yeah, like it was just yeah. kind of, just kind of caking the runtime there. No, <laughs> but uh, but that was you know the Navina was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> So Mario, I, I really enjoyed Mario uh, on the uh, our earlier topic of things that are valuable just because they're entertaining. Like it was a very entertaining movie. Uh, and and it, a lot of ways, like I, I put a, uh, I did a little letterbox review that I didn't put on Facebook, but just to kind of start getting my thoughts together. Uh, the first thing I said was like, this is better than it has any right to be. Uh, this really should be so much lazier and so much like just uh, transparently a commercial uh, and I think they put a lot of, of thought and imagination into it. Uh, I, I like how much they're bringing in all these different like weird characters and design elements from the game. Like they're not kind of leaving any of that on the table. They're like, no, we have this weird, rich world. Let's kind of fill it in and uh, make that a, a feature and not a bug. Um, and, and just even to have the story that it tells, uh, which is like, you know, it's, it's a hero's journey it's it's a story that we've seen before uh a lot of the archetypes are in there that you would expect um these underdogs going and, and eventually proving their worth and becoming the heroes uh but something that I, th- I found really meaningful and really interesting in it is that all the heroic characters are most defined by their desire to care for and protect other people mm. I think mario that's like kind of the first thing that you learn about him is uh it, kind of his relationship with luigi and that when he kind of uh, goes into any kind of when he does anything heroic before it even kind of kicks off into the uh, the magical world they go to, it's because somebody's insulting Luigi or making Luigi feel bad. And you you learn right away this is a guy who cares about his brother and he's not going to let anybody mess with his brother. And then that kind of carries through the rest of the movie when Luigi is, is kidnapped by Bowser. I, don't know, I guess that's not spoilers. It's the premise. Of the I was movie. like spoiler alert. Jesus. <laughs> Uh, but then he's like he's trying to protect Luigi and then more broadly protecting these other people that he's met and then for Peach the idea that she uh, feels this sense of uh, obligation to you know the toads who who took her in and uh, and raised her and that everything that she's motivated by is uh, I'm going to take this on because you know they can't fight this battle themselves I need to protect them I need to uh, do what I can to kind of show you know my love for them by putting myself on the line to, to keep them safe. Um, and then even, you know, the toad himself, uh, who is the toad who's willing to go and, and go on this adventure. Who's not afraid to go and face the, the various turtle monsters, etc. cetera. Uh, and that there is this, uh, you know, th- this is 
if you just approach this out of context, it's going to sound ridiculous, but there's this self-sacrificial nature to all the heroes in the movie that they aren't doing things just for their own gain or, or even just to uh, protect one little, you know, slice of their lives. But it's out of this like deep sense of love for these meaningful relationships and that they're willing to put their own lives and their own selves on the line um, to, to protect these things that they love. And I think, uh, actual spoiler um sorry everybody is uh this kind of culminates with luigi uh towards the end like throwing himself into harm's way to keep mario safe this like reversal of um of the dynamic from from you know that's been running throughout the movie uh and then i think the uh that even also has kind of a dark reflection uh with bowser who is also motivated in a way by love uh, because in, in the movie, he's got this, you know, uh, obsession with Peach. Uh, but it's a, this very possessive, very, uh, uh, what's the word I want to look for? I mean, it, it's kind of the way that you would love a, a commodity. It's, uh, you know, he, he needs to have her. Uh, it's not about protection. It's not about, you know, uh, actual relationship or, or anything like that. It's uh, this, this desire to be possessive. And so that's held up as kind of the dark mirror to... Uh, the love these other characters have and it's like you know as as i'm saying it i can imagine like again somebody who has not seen this movie or has completely dismissed this movie being like you're talking about like dark mirrors and self-sacrificial love in, in the super mario brothers movie it's like yeah i mean if if you're open to that i think i think that's the kind of stuff that can come out of a story like this for you and here you go guys that's that's the that's the kind of quality takes you get if you turn into catholic movie club um, I, you know, I, um, I really love, I, I mean, I thought that's a masterfully done. I, I love what you said there. And it really, you know, from, you know, for me, so much of my like of the movie came from like the nostalgia element of it. But, but even now thinking about like playing the game, the game, the games don't have that kind of context. The games don't have those self as you're describing, even though like the whole point of the game is you're trying to save the princess, trying to like, you know, you keep getting knocked down by turtles, but um, but they did infuse in the film and the storytelling this these these themes that are right there uh, for you to you know kind of pull out and 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 hold up to the light if if you want to. So I I appreciate doing that. I think that's that's a really a great take. Um, maybe just last question: what um, what are three kind of films that you would invite listeners to uh, consider watching? And maybe just like one like an elevator pitch as to why uh, through this lens of of Catholic Movie Club. Sure. Should I, should I avoid ones that we've covered already? Or, um, I mean, everyone's already going to rush out to watch the Mario Brothers movie, so I don't think we have to worry about that. But, uh, yeah, just three, three new ones, three new ones, sure. Three new ones. Uh, yeah, okay, let's see. What are, um, I'm trying not to like also spoil what's, what's coming up immediately in Catholic Movie Club. Um, okay, so three movies that I think, uh, let's, let's, I have one and we're going to keep coming up with them as I go. Uh, so I've mentioned already my love for Hayao Miyazaki and uh, Studio Ghibli. Um, really all of his movies are great. Uh, Cover Kiki's Delivery Service for Catholic Movie Club. But one that I think speaks to a lot of our concerns in this immediate moment uh, is a film called Princess Mononoke, uh, which has a lot to say about our relationship with the natural world, our relationship with creation, um, the kind of divine as well, our relationship with the divine and how that's tied up in our relationship with nature. Uh, it's, it's a very Laudato Si movie. 
Uh, I would say it's, I, I would argue it's one of his darker ones too. A lot of his movies are um, much more kid friendly. This one is not uh, <laughs> teen friendly, we'll say. Teen and up. Put your uh, kids to bed. Huh? That's what that's, that's what, for this movie. Definitely put the kids to bed first. It's a, it's a, an animated movie, but it's, it's teen and up. Uh, but it's a really beautiful movie, a very sad movie, uh, but also um, just really, really meaningful in terms of uh, his his idea is uh, he's using a lot of figures from Japanese folk mythology. And the idea is let's tell the origin story of how humanity's kind of negative relationship with nature started. And that's what he's doing. Um, and. It's a, a story with like a lot of complicated characters, no clear villains, uh, but a lot of people just trying to do what's right for uh, the, themselves and their communities and, and hopefully eventually the world around them. Uh, so that's a movie I think would be very, very resonant um, for, for folks to watch in a prayerful way. Uh, and especially, again, as we're coming up to Let Us See Part 2 and uh, we're in the season of creation, that'd be a good one. Uh, what are some other great movies that I think... Okay, uh, this one, <laughs> this this is one that I haven't done for Catholic Movie Club because I worry it might be a little bit of a tough hang for people. Uh, but I think if you are if you're willing to be open to it, and especially if you're willing to be open to the main character who is very difficult, uh, it could be a very very beautiful uh, and prayerful experience. Uh, Coen Brothers movie from 2013, I believe, called Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, wonderful movie. It's about uh, Oscar Isaac plays a guy named Lewin Davis. He's uh, a folk singer in Greenwich Village in the 60s around the time that like Simon Garfunkel and uh, uh, what Peter Paul and Mary and Bob Dylan are getting their start. And this is like the guy who doesn't get his start. So he's he's trying, but he's not quite connecting. Uh, and it's really like it's it's a prodigal son movie in a lot of ways uh, where the prodigal never really comes home. It's a movie about grief. Uh, he's kind of carrying something very heavy throughout the movie that kind of gets teased out over the course of the film. Uh, and I, when I watched it, I had a, a really profound emotional and spiritual experience watching it. And just this idea of like, you know, this, this is kind of often how I feel in my relationship with God. Like this is uh, spending some time with the prodigal as the prodigal. And the idea of uh, at the end of that feeling like, you know, well, that offer of love is still there. It's always like the hardest, you know, lift, I guess, is are we going to accept it? Do we answer uh, that that call to come back and be loved. Um, so I think that's that's really that's a movie with really good um, grounds for reflection uh, on those topics. And then what's one more? Let me do a Shyamalan. We're gonna do gotta a Shyamalan. do it. Gotta do it. Yeah, if you talked him up now, I mean, turns out you're Shyamalan's biggest fan. I have no idea. Love M. Night Shyamalan. Great guy. Uh, I guess he's a great guy. I've never actually met him, but a great filmmaker. <laughs> a notable Philadelphian. Um, Catholic educated, too. Hey, how about that? He's got everything going for him. There, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so his, uh, not his, his most recent movie was very good, too, but his uh, second to last movie was called Old. Uh, it was subject to a lot of jokes, a lot of memes, because uh, people go to a beach and it makes them old easy to, to kind of make jokes about that premise. Uh, but it's, I mean, both one, it's a very effective horror movie because the idea of going to a space where you age over the course of minutes and hours, as opposed to years uh, is terrifying. Uh, a lot of body horror in that, like just kind of what would happen to your body and your mind and 
there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of upsetting stuff in there uh but it's also a meditation on what it means to age what it means to reckon with our mortality and especially as parents what it means to know one that you are eventually going to like age to a point where um, where you and your children are going to age to a point where you are no longer primarily responsible for taking care of them um, and that you will not be able to kind of shelter them and, and keep them safe from the world in whatever ways you might have when they were a baby uh, forever. And that ultimately, like, there's there's a degree of powerlessness when you have a child. You are going to send them out into the world and they're going to have to kind of grow up and experience this world and aging and all of that on their own. Um, and you have a limit to, to what how much control you have over what they're going to experience and being able to shelter them from pain uh, while also dealing with your own, you know, limited time on this earth and your own, the reality of your own mortality. Uh, and that sounds really depressing. I realize, but it's uh, I mean, yeah, a great pitch. Jeez. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, well, it's on a beach. That's cool. Uh, but it's, I mean, one, you know, very, I, I think congruent with Catholic thought, the idea of memento mori that, you know, we, mm-hmm. we don't, shy away from the idea that our time is limited and that we uh that our, our our lives will come to an end and so what does the time kind of before that mean um and and how do we hope that's preparing us for for the next life uh but it also the way he tells the story uh really kind of ends up even through all the horror and the terrible things that happen it ends up in a really beautiful place and really is about uh coming to acceptance with you know, your own kind of limited abilities, both to you, you can't live forever and you can't perfectly take care of everybody you love forever. And how do you find the grace in that? And how do you still kind of keep loving each other and, and moving forward through that? Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's uh, three three very offbeat suggestions. All right. Good pictures. We'll put those in the notes. John, uh, it's been a lot of fun. If, if folks want to learn more about your work, follow your other writing projects, where might they go? Sure. So I have a Twitter account. I'm John Doc 23. That's J O H N D O C 23. Uh, that's been up for a while. That's usually where I, I promote promote my stuff. Uh, but also newer now. Hopefully, we'll have been up for a week or so um, when this episode drops. Uh, I have a writing website. So it's JohnDocWrites.com. Again, John with an H D O C. My last name is pronounced the Philly way. I'm not a doctor, um, but uh, that's where I'm, I'm keeping all my writing, johndockwrites.com. And then uh, I'm creating a writing Instagram. That's johndockwrites at Instagram. Uh, nice. Sharing everything through there. Weekly Catholic Movie Club uh, posts on America. All that good stuff. And we'll put all those links in the, uh, in the notes. My friend, always a pleasure. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for uh, letting me chat about movies for so long. We'll do it again. My favorite thing. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. This episode was edited by me, Eric Clayton. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Mike Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, Kristen Smith, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits at Jesuits.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Get our weekly email reflection series. Now discern this by visiting jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know would like to learn more about becoming a Jesuit or Jesuit life in general, connect with your local vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts, 
And finally, as St. Ignatius may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.